Oh man, good morning and welcome. If you will, grab your seat and grab your Bible. In fact, hey, if you can do something for me this morning, go ahead. Uh, and if you brought a physical Bible, would you go ahead and just hold it up for me? If you brought a physical Bible, go hold it up. Awesome, awesome. I want to ask you, if you're not in the regular habit of bringing your physical Bible, I'm going to ask you to start doing it. Yes, it's good to have a digital copy in your pocket on your phone. But I don't know about you, my phone sometimes is the greatest distraction in my life. And if I want to meet with the Lord, the worst thing I can do is bring with me a bunch of other things that will distract me. So let me encourage you, bring your Bibles. Also, get into the habit of reading from your physical Bible. If you don't have one, you come see me. I'll get you a Bible this week because we want you to know the word of the Lord and to be able to hear from him, not just on Sunday, but Monday through Saturday. My name is Josh. Welcome to Clear Creek. I am one of the ministers. And if this is your first time, welcome. We mean this. We've been praying for you. If this is your first day, you've been prayed for. And although you may not have planned to be here this morning, and although we may not have known you before you got here, there's a good God who knew you were going to be here and planned for you to be here. And so we're going to just ask you to stick around. Let's get to know you. We'd love to say hi and help you connect with some of these great folks sitting around you today. You've joined us on a great Sunday. We're in this series going through the book of Psalms. The word psalm simply means song or hymn. It's the ancient songbook of the Jewish people and of the early Christians. There are 150 of these songs or psalms. And over the course of these few weeks, we've been just looking at one psalm every Sunday, but reading through the entire 150 through the course of these past two months. Now, next Sunday will be a last Sunday in the book of Psalms. And I know some of you are thinking, man, this wasn't a very brief look. We've been in it for nine months. Yes... But when you consider there are 150 of them, we fit less than 115th. In other words, as valuable as our time is on Sunday, we will only be able to ever scratch the surface of the goodness of God in the text. So I'm inviting you and encouraging you, get in the word of God, not just on Sunday with us, but Monday through Saturday, for the Lord longs to speak to you directly. And you can do that in the word of God. So with that said, we're going to look at Psalm 120. If you will, stand with me this morning as we read this text together. Psalm 120 begins this way. And I want you to pay attention to the header there. A song of ascents. I call on the Lord in my distress and he answers me. Save me, O Lord, from lips that lie and from deceitful tongues. What will he do to you and what more beside, O deceitful tongue? He will punish you with a warrior's sharp arrow with burning coals of the broom tree. Woe is me that I dwell in Meshech, that I live among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I lived among those who hate peace. I am a man of peace, but when I speak, they are for war. I call on the Lord in my distress, and he answered me. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, speak to us through this beautiful song of ascent. We pray that as we hear from you through this, that these ancient words would have modern meaning for the moments we find ourselves. Lord, I do pray that you will please speak through the text and through my voice I have no ability on my own, but you, Holy Spirit, can speak to each of us in the way that we need. So I pray that I will get out of the way, that I'll remember what you want said, and that you will handcraft each word for the people in this room so that they may see you more clearly today. 
We love you, dear Jesus. It's for your name and your glory that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Have you ever noticed that songs often define the seasons that we're in? So I know we're in July, and this is almost blasphemy to mention, but let's just give a couple examples. How many of you know the song Jingle Bells? Okay, so what season does that define? Yeah, a few of you know Christmas. Some of you are like, nope, nope, it's too far. We're not even talking about it. Enjoy the summer months. I got it. But isn't it true that there are some songs that define the season? So you've got Jingle Bells at Christmas. You've got Happy Birthday song for what season, church? Yeah, birthday. Some of you are going, my birthday is a legit season. I have a sister who her birthday begins the first day of March and ends the last day of March. I mean, it's all month long. But there are songs that define the seasons. A few years ago, the Diggs family decided to begin um, putting together, curating a Diggs family beach playlist. Every year we try to go to the beach once a year if possible with my family, my sisters, their families, and my parents. And so we began a few years ago to put together a playlist of songs. And we kind of paid attention. What are the songs that are regularly and repeatedly requested. And if they are requested a lot, it meant that was a song that more than a few people wanted. So we put that on the playlist. And the coolest thing begins to happen. Now when I hear those songs, when I hear songs like Lovely Day by Bill Withers, I think of my brother-in-law, Kyle. By the way, any of you like that song? Any of you know what I'm talking about? Lovely Day. You're like, don't sing. Okay, I won't. But when I hear like the cool harmonies of the Beach Boys, I think of my dad. And when I hear the song, Mr. Blue Sky, I think of my daughter, Emma, and she starts to get her little Church of Christ movement on. And yes, it's Church of Christ. She came from me, so that's all we got. But that's what I think of because songs define the seasons. They bring to memory the moments that matter and they begin to give shape. They remind us where we come from and where we're going. And Psalm 120 really is a picture of a song that defines a season for the people of Israel. In fact, it is the first of 15 psalms that defined a season. There are a group of 15 psalms that the children of Israel would sing, and they were called the songs of ascents because every year, three times a year, the people of Israel would go up this hill. And, and this is a terrible drawing. It's my drawing. This is a hill. This is Jerusalem. I'm sorry. That's the best I got for you today. And they would travel up to Jerusalem for three of what were called the pilgrim festivals. It was Passover, Pentecost, and the festival of booths, or where they would set up tabernacles, little tents out in the front yard, and they'd camp out for a week. And so for three times a year, they would go up to Jerusalem. I say up because Jerusalem is on a hill. It's on a mountain. It's the highest elevation-wise city of the ancient Israelites. So no matter where you came from, you always went up. To, Israel, to Jerusalem and they would go there for these celebrations and along the way they would sing these songs in fact they would sing next slide one more they would sing Psalm 120 to 135 15 psalms that they called the songs of ascent and they weren't just going to the city of Jerusalem they were actually going to the temple because the temple was the presence of God in the ancient world it's where the Lord uniquely said this is where I will always be you know that I am here among you And so along the way, as they'd go up the hill, they would sing the songs. They'd sing the first one, Psalm 120, then 121 and 122 and so on and so forth. All the way up until they came into the very presence of the Lord. And they knew these by heart because three times a year they would be doing, in fact, not just generically the people of Israel, but even Jesus Christ, little 12-year-old Jesus, when he went up to Jerusalem with his mom and daddy, he would have been singing these very songs. The song we just read, Jesus would have sung on his lips. 
They define the seasons. Now, I don't want you to miss this. Psalm 120 and the Ascent Psalms are not just the ancient words of an ancient people, but they're also the story of our journey as well. The Jewish people were anticipating the coming Messiah, and we're anticipating the second coming of Messiah. Amen? Let's do that again. We're looking forward to when Jesus comes back. Amen? Man, yeah, so we're, and it's not just that they were going to Jerusalem, but the book of Revelation says for Christians, there's a new Jerusalem coming one day that we will be going to where we will be with God forever and ever. It's not just their story, it's our story. It's not just their journey, it's our journey. And these songs define the seasons. And so what I want to do this morning is share with you just four thoughts, four ideas from the Songs of Ascent and Psalm 120 in particular. I got some of these some years ago. I heard them first from a guy named Whit George, and they blessed me. So I want to share some of this with you this morning. But if you're taking notes, the first thing that we understand, the first insight from the journey is that our journey with Jesus leads uphill. Our journey with Jesus leads uphill. It's, it's an uphill journey. Now, what do I mean by uphill? Again, it's a song of ascents. Now that phrase ascents or that word ascents literally means moving upward. So uphill is in the name. The assumption is that it's not an easy journey, that there is some upward momentum. In other words, growth does not happen by accident. Have you noticed things don't roll uphill? Dads, when was the last time that your kid kicked a ball too hard and you had to chase it up the hill? That would be terrible, by the way. No, it goes downhill. Things naturally go downhill. Downhill is default. Downhill is easy. Uphill is hard and it takes intentionality. See, to the ancient Israelites, to go to Jerusalem, to the temple, to be close to God, they had to intentionally go uphill. Same with us, to be closer and closer to God and in more like the form and likeness of Jesus Christ. It's an upward climb. Anyone feel that? Anyone experience the moments where it's not quite so easy to follow Jesus really, really well? Uphill requires effort. That's why God gives us these things called the spiritual disciplines or the spiritual practices. These are the means by which we become more like Jesus Christ. Now, time out. Don't mishear me. I did not say that you do these things to be saved. Salvation is the free gift of God. He paid for it and gives it to you and me. If we have to pay for it, it's not free. Salvation is free. But becoming more and more like Jesus is a decision. It is very possible to be a follower of Jesus or be saved by Jesus, to muddle through life, to die and go to heaven, only to find that God has so much more for you while you lived on earth. That he said, I had so many more plans. I had so many more things I wanted you to see. And I wanted you to be more like me and more with me. But you opted for the easy path of staying at base camp. See, our journey goes uphill. In 2000, this was driven home to me when I took a trip out to the Rockies with some friends and we decided to hike one of the mountains. I don't know if you've been out there before, but this isn't Smoky Mountains mountains. These are like legit, legit mountains. And we go out and we're going to hike. What we decided was this one called Treasure Vault Mountain. We'd invited a bunch of people to come. Some said they'd come. Some said they wouldn't. Some who said they would ended up not because it was going to be too high and too hard. They said, nah. We get out there and if you've ever climbed, you know there's different camps. There's base camp. There's high camp, and then there's summit. And so you get to high camp, 
And we're getting ready for the next morning because the next morning on Thursday, we're going to get up early before the sun is up. And we're going to go to Summit. So we get up with flashlights on hand, day packs over our shoulders, and we begin single file line going up the switchbacks up this very narrow path to summit so that when the sun came up five hours later, we are standing there and before us is a scene that I can't describe with words. In fact, I found some old pictures, but I'm not even going to show them because they don't even do justice. From that height, the, the world begins to curve. And you can see mountains, and you can see streams, and you can see clouds miles and miles away. You can see things that I have never seen before. It was overwhelming, so much more more so that it just sort of takes your breath away. It's just true that there are some sights that are so powerful and so beautiful, but you can only see them from the top of the mountain. They only come after the climb. And here's the thing, there were some friends who we wish would have come, but they said they would, and then they realized how hard and how far of a climb it was. They said, nah. And while we could explain to them what we experienced, there's no way to have them experience the same thing without making the climb. Friends, the Lord has so many things in store for you. And the people who see the grandeur and the glory and the bigness of God are those who make the decision that they will take the steps to continue the climb one foot in front of the other because there are some things you can't see outside of the very top of the mountain. And I got to tell you, friends, if you're not growing, it's because that you're not willing to go uphill. If you're the same place you are this year as you were a year before, then it's because you're just not willing to go uphill. But here's what I know about our God is as we walk with him uphill, he will carry us in the places that are hard and he will help us the rest of the way. But we will see things that only happen when we walk with him uphill. Now, there are some things that he says, do this, do this. There's generic things, serve here, share there. But there's some things that he'll also say, we don't need to do that anymore. Let's make a change here. In fact, there's one that I've been working on. Here's my uphill climb moment. One of the uphill practices I'm trying to work on, and it's, it's to kind of pull back from some of the screen time, the addiction to technology, the connection to this thing that's in my pocket. And it's a gift from God, but isn't it true that our technological devices can become slave masters as well? You open one app, and next thing you know, you've been looking for 30 minutes. You go, what did I just do the last 30 minutes of my life? Some of you go, going, you are an amateur. 30 minutes, try three hours. A friend of mine earlier this week, he said, Josh, I'm getting rid of my smartphone. I'm going to get a dumb phone. I said, why? He said, well, because it, my smartphone is smarter than me, and it's holding me in its grasp. And I felt the Lord kind of whisper to me like, hey, does that sound familiar? And it wasn't anything new because earlier this week, I had already heard from the Lord, or at least the Holy Spirit's assistant helper, my wife, Lindsay. And she had mentioned, hey, maybe as a family we need to pull back, or we kind of too much. And it wasn't an ugly thing. She was right. And I heard the Lord say in that moment, he's like, Josh, there are things I want to share with you, but I can't because you're too distracted. See, there are uphill practices that God wants us to adopt for us to see the things he wants us to see. I think a lot of us have uphill dreams but downhill practices or downhill habits. And so what does it mean for us to follow the Lord uphill? It means that we begin to adopt the uphill practices, that the rule of your life is not to be organized by these other things, but organized by the practices of God. Jesus says that the kingdom of God is at hand, meaning you can enjoy the goodness of God today right where you are, which is why Paul says to the Philippians in chapter three, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies 
behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. See, some of these disciplines, they're an upward and uphill climb. I think about the habit of prayer. Any of you just naturally roll out of your bed and you're like, thank you, Lord. Like you wake up and Jesus is sitting right next to you. Is that normal for anyone else? It isn't for me. There are many mornings where I'll wake up and I know I should have a time of prayer, but if I'm honest, I don't really feel like it. It's an uphill climb. Uh, What about giving? Is giving one of those things that just naturally comes from you? Like a need appears and you're like, take it. Not for me. It's an uphill climb. Is that a surprise for you that your preacher struggles? Welcome to the club if this is your struggle as well. That giving a 10%, you know, a tithe is 10%. It's not $1, it's 10%. You give your tithe and you go, man, I don't know anyone who's like, man, where can I give 10 more percent of what I have? And yet those are the upward things that as we do them, they are hard, but we see God in vivid colors. So the first thing we learn from this about our journey is that our journey goes uphill. Second thing that we learn is that our journey, it takes time. It's not a microwave spirituality that we have But it takes time. Did you notice that there's not just one psalm in the songs of ascent, but there are 15. Because one song is just not long enough. Now what I do love is Psalm 120 begins to paint a picture of the moments of life. See, in these 15 psalms, we see the emotions and the highs and the lows of what it means to be human. And Psalm 120 gives a piece of the whole picture. It's not the whole picture, but it gives it a piece of the picture to us. And it begins to show us what it means to follow him, that it takes time. See, one of the enemy's greatest weapons against us as followers is this one word, hurry. I want things quick. I want things fast. I want overnight delivery. I want instant upgrade. I want get rich quick schemes. I want fast. And this is what we are just it's the air we breathe to live in a microwave culture so much so that when we don't grow and don't change immediately we get frustrated with God like what are you doing God he's like that's not how this works see here's what I'm learning and maybe you already know this that's the spiritual life getting to the top of the mountain there are no shortcuts it is one step after the other and here's what I found if I don't learn the lesson the first time I get to repeat it again and again Some of us are spiritual sixth graders who should be in 12th grade, but we've been held back because we haven't learned the lesson yet, right? Some of you are going, that hits too close to home, dig, stop. But for some of us, we just need to recognize that it takes time. I remember the first time that I preached um, for like a church, like a legit preaching thing, not when I was five, not behind the, the big pulpit with the step stool, but I'm talking 2004, 2005, I'm at a church in Houston, Texas, and the preacher says, hey, I'd like for you to preach for me. And I'm like, finally, I'm being called up into the big leagues. And I remember feeling so excited, but also nervous, but thinking, okay, this is gonna be like, this has gotta be the best thing ever. Which by the way, just young ministers give grace but the truth is most of the time young ministers are trying to impress you and that's not a good thing it's more about their ego than helping you and we apologize and that's very much where I was that first Sunday so I'm like this has got to be great I mean this has got to be second Pentecost sermon like Peter move over this is going to be great and so I'm prepped I'm ready I get up there and and I did it and it was unbelievable unbelievably bad (laughs) I had people coming out afterward. I had people not even looking me in the eye. They just kind of go, and they'd walk past. It was not fun. And so then I'm like, man, okay, I thought it was so good. 
And, and then I thought, okay, I, I thought I'd arrived. And then over the next couple of years, in 2006, 2007, people would come up to me after sermons. And they'd pat me on the head and say, you're getting so much better. <laughs> what? Oh, don't you know I've already arrived? Some of you are going, you still haven't arrived. That's a Amen. It's an uphill climb, but it takes time. Anything worth getting takes time. By the way, you want to have a great marriage, don't bail on your one, two, three, or ten. You continue in the trenches because I promise it gets better if you stay in it. If you want good relationships in the church, don't bail every two or three years. One of the biggest failings of the American church is there are so many options that young people, hear me now, young people. And by the way, young people can be your 30-year-olds as well. You will go to a church and it's the hip, cool place for six months. You're there. It's got this program. It's got this thing. But then something happens. Relationships get too real. Someone offends you. And what do you do? You leave. Can you imagine a tree growing if every two or three years you uprooted it and moved it? You remember Psalm 1 where it says that the man or the woman who meditates on the law of the Lord, who loves God, is like a tree planted by streams of water. Imagine after two years coming and saying, well, we just got to move you because it's not as nice here anymore. It'll be okay over here and you put them back in. At best, you traumatize the roots. At worst, you kill the tree. It takes time. Some of you know the joy of faithfully participating in a body of Christ, not for weeks, months, or years, but decades. And how, yes, you go through the battles. Yes, you argue, but you fight as family and you stay together. This is part of what it means to grow as a follower of Jesus Christ. You don't bail when the going gets hard. And so the first thing is that it's an uphill journey, but it's also, it takes time. Eugene Peterson wrote a book on the Songs of Ascent, and he said that he called the book A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And that's what it means to follow Jesus. It's just one step in front of the other, the next song, and the next song, and the next song, until we are there. Number three, if you're taking notes, our journey goes through enemy territory. These Psalms tell us this, and specifically Psalm 120 tells us this. Did you hear sort of the flavor of the psalm? It wasn't an upbeat, happy, clappy, God is so great, life is so good, things are so easy psalm. It begins with these very uninspiring words. I call on the Lord in my, say that word church, distress. Like this isn't, hey, how are you doing God? This isn't life's great God. This is help. I'm sending out an SOS. Any journey with God, hear me now, any journey with God begins in the valley. It starts there. See, before we came to Christ, we were in the valley. Now, when you come to Christ, you gain all sorts of wonderful things. You get a new heart. You get a new life with God. You get a new father in the Lord. You get a new brother in Jesus Christ. You get a new family in the church, a new relationship with the scripture. It's not just a book, but now it's the words of God speaking to you. You get a lot of stuff. But did you know before you came to Christ, you had an enemy? You had one. God was your enemy. Now, I know this isn't a popular thing to say in our feel-good culture, but I need to say this. Before you come to Christ... You're not mistaken. You're not wayward. You are a rebel or an enemy combatant against the king of kings. But here's the good news. He is the best enemy you could ask for. Because he opposes you for your good. 
He wants you to come home. And so he fights you when you do bad because he wants you to come home. And then when you do come home, he becomes your best friend. But then you gain a different enemy. And this enemy does not oppose you for your good, but to kill, still, and destroy you. And so it starts in the valley. So we should not be surprised when life is not puppy dogs and rainbows because that's the reality. We are now in enemy territory. We start off in the valley. Did you hear what the psalmist said there in Psalm when he says, um, when when he says, I'm in distress. See, James 4.4 makes this comment. I think it's so interesting. He says, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. And the Hebrew writer goes on to make this statement. He says, this world is not our home. So before God, we're enemies, but after God, we're in no man's land. We're in the valley. This world, this country, this city, it's not home. In 2010, Lindsay and I bought our first house in Nashville. We were so excited. We put pictures up on the wall. We got the house decorated. Well, okay, our version of decorating, we put some stuff out. We raised babies there. We had Christmas trees and celebrations. We had moments of great sadness, but that's where we did life. That was home. And then in 2018, God called us here and we sold that house and it's no longer home. We'll drive by there sometimes and we'll see the other car in the driveway and we go, that used to be home, but it's not home anymore. Now we've got a new home. We've put up pictures and we're raising kids And we have Christmas trees and celebrations and sad moments. But here's the reality. At some point, the house we live in now will not be home. Either we'll move or we'll die. Someone else will move in or the house will be bulldozed and something else will be built. You say, that's depressing. No, friends, that's a gift from God. Do you want to live in this broken place forever? This is a passing through. See, one of the major images of the Christian life in the scriptures is that of a pilgrim or a sojourner, someone who's going through because this world is not our home. We are looking forward to our everlasting home in heaven. But right now we're in the valley. That's where it begins. And so that's why the psalmist says in verse five, woe to me, woe to me that I dwell in Meshach and am living among the tents of Kedar. Meshach and Kedar are two places Opposite ends of the world, practically, far north Israel and then far southeast. But these were pagan locations. And the the psalmist is saying the way that the world looks, the way that the world feels, it is just broken. It is upside down, inside out. In fact, verse 2 says, save me from lying lips, from deceitful tongues. Why? Because everything's upside down and we feel like we're living in a pagan place. Does anyone else feel like they're living in a pagan place? If you don't feel like you're living in a pagan place, you may need to reevaluate how you're living. We live among the tents of Kedar. This is where it starts. This is how it is. So how do you walk through it? I want to give you a couple things and then we're going to go to the last point. Here's the thing. How do you live in a place that's upside down? 1 John chapter 2 gives, these, gives us these words. It says, do not love the world... Or anything in the world, if anyone loves the world, the love for the Father is not in them. All it's saying is not that you don't love people, but you don't love the ideology of the world. You don't love the things that the world puts so much value on because this is just a temporary home. Remember, we are on a journey to be with the Lord, to be closer to God, united with Christ forever. And this world is just a temporary place. So how do you live well in this place? We live well 
and we navigate a world that is broken the way that God opposed us, we oppose the world the same way. You say, what does that mean? Let me show you in Romans chapter 12, these words. Bless those who persecute you. By the way, friend, just because someone said something mean to you on Facebook is not what they're calling persecution. So if we can't bless those who are mean to us on Facebook, how much more? But bless those who persecute you. Bless, do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Now notice this. Do not be proud. Oh, church, may we be humble. But be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And if it is possible, as far as it depends on you. Live at peace with everyone. In other words, you say, how do we live in enemy territory? We oppose people the way that Jesus opposed us. We do so with love and with grace, saying this is what truth is. May you come and find peace in Jesus Christ. It's the life and lips we talked about last week. This is what it means to live through enemy territory. Now, I know sometimes we get depressed because we look around and go, man, this is not what we signed up for. Friends, we are simply beginning to experience what the rest of the world through rest of human history has experienced as the norm. But do you want some good news? Say yes. It's my last point. You ready for the last point? Here's the good news. Our journey can't fail. Yeah, it goes uphill. Yeah, it takes time. Yeah, we're in enemy territory. But friend, good news. If you are in Christ Jesus, your journey cannot fail. This is what it says in the next two verses of Psalm 121, the second Psalm of Ascent. I want you to see this. He says, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The worst places on earth he is over. The best places he is over. He is the maker of heaven and earth. Where do I look? I look to the hill. I look to the presence of God. I look to the temple. I look to where he is. That is what they were thinking as they went up that hill. How is it that we have confidence that God will see us through, that we cannot fail? Because frankly, I fail a lot. Anyone else want to give an oh yeah to that? So many of us, we have these things we do and we go, why? I failed this way. I've done this wrong. I can't seem to get it right. God, I don't know if I'll make it home because it's hard. You want to know why we can have confidence, church? It's because we lift our eyes to the hills and one hill in particular. And it's not this generic hill. It's rather this other hill. There's another hill that on one day Jesus went up and he did not carry his pack For a week's retreat. He didn't travel with family and friends who loved him. He did not sing the songs of the people of God. He carried the weight of the world, the sin of the people on his shoulders. And when he got to the top of the hill, he did not go to a temple. Rather, they took him outside of the town. And yet in that one space, heaven met earth, grace invaded darkness. All of your sin was crucified. And on the third day, when it went into the tomb, on the third day, he came out, but sin stayed in. How do we know that you cannot fail on the journey? It's because Christ has done the heavy lifting. It's because he has already gone to the cross and he has carried our sins, my friend. So here's here's the good news. We're not working our way to God. We're simply enjoying the life with God. We're becoming more like Jesus in the day to day. And so the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 8, these encouraging words, 
Next slide. God did not spare his own son. He let him die for us. But he gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with Jesus, graciously give us all things? How do I know that I will make it to the end? It's because God has promised that he will give me what I need for the journey so that you'll get home. This is what we learn along the way. This is what the promise of Scripture says. Yes, they were journeying, but we are on a journey. And the good news of Scripture is that through the power of Jesus Christ, he will get each of us home. Let's pray together. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to invite you just to consider for a moment what does it mean to take your next step? For some of us, this... It's something you're already on. You're taking active steps daily. You're walking with the Lord. But for others, we've gotten tired on the journey and you've taken a seat along the road. He's inviting you today to take your step with him. For others in this room, you're still in the valley because you have yet to say yes to Jesus. But you're not here by accident. He's here for you. He came. He's already gone to... The cross, he's already risen from the tomb. All you need do is say, I am a sinner in need of a savior. And then to give your life to him in the waters of baptism. What is your next step? Do you need a family? We'd love to invite you in. There are people waiting for you in the lobby who help you do that. Are you needing a second chance? Come pray with us. Father, we thank you that as we take the journey and oh, it's an uphill one, that you're already there with us and you're already at the top calling us onward. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for your victory and the victory now is given to each who simply bend their knee to you and say, save me. We thank you. Help each of us now as we take our next step with you to do what we need to do so we can see what you've invited us to see at the top. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.